Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is June 4th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How are you, my man? Oh, you know, uh, I hear you're you're feeling quite humid out there, and I'm feeling quite hot. It's uh, it was 32 degrees yesterday, so. Oh, geez, yeah. Well, we're aiming for in that neighborhood today, and yeah, we've had a lot of rain recently, so it is humid as 80s. But that's okay. I'm I'm loving it. We need the rains. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean we've. We've actually had uh, a little bit of rain in the past, uh, like about a week ago, and uh, and it did quite a bit to um, help with the dryness out in the forest. So, perfect. Yeah. All right. So, one housekeeping note, Canada, before we get the show underway. And I heard on Tuesday that the StatsCan report came out, and all is great. Recession's over, Canada. We've had the first quarter that showed growth, and they said growth of 3%. And Lewis, you kind of raised an eyebrow when they said that, especially when the punditry all said, well, big deal because Canadians are still broke and grocery prices are still through the roof and no one has any money. So what does it matter if, they, if we had growth? But you didn't like that number. Yeah, I mean, 3% is quite a bit. I mean, it's actually a pretty decent growth number i mean that's uh i just don't buy it i i'd like to know where that growth came from did it come from inflation like uh because you know everything costs more that canadians had to spend more um because that's not growth uh that you know that's just inflation so i mean i i would really be interested in seeing where that where that three percent comes from because uh when Canadians are more indebted than than ever before, uh, I just don't see how the economy can grow that much. Well, you're right about that. And also, uh, the third quarter of the year is not typically a big growth quarter because January and February are such slow months in the services sector and retail. Uh, I don't really see where that growth would come from either. But I had not thought of the inflation angle. That could very well be where... Uh, some of that growth and just economic activity is coming from just because everything costs so bloody much. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that's where I, I, I'm just not buying that number. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It doesn't, it does seem very high. And yes, I get that the number is annualized, but if the number is annualized, that means that the first quarter growth might be even higher if they were to annualize it at 3%. So uh, you might be onto something when you talk about the inflationary numbers. Yeah. All right, well, Canada, we've got a good show for you today. On the show today, the Alberta election, Kamloops two years later, Aaron O'Toole was messed with, messed with, Canada is dying and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, I mean, let's, I, I'm interested in this Aaron O'Toole uh, foreign interference story. I mean, I, the first I heard about it was when you brought it up before the show. So um, what's that all about? 
Well, let's get right into that. Aaron O'Toole in what might be one of his last speeches in the House of Commons, because he announced he's stepping down as an MP at the end of this parliamentary session, which I think is only two or three weeks much longer until uh, it's over, um, in, in June anyway. So um, Aaron O'Toole discovered that, well, he was briefed on Monday or Tuesday that he was allegedly targeted in the 2021 election. You and I actually talked about this during the election when we had talked about a WeChat group that was affecting a number of conservative MPs. We didn't know who at the time, but it was there was a WeChat uh, group that was targeting conservative MPs in order to help the liberals. Aaron O'Toole was one of those uh, MPs that was targeted. And Canada, you are going to love the... Uh, the, let's, just, let's say incompetence, because I don't want to make any other accusations, of Jody Thomas, that Trudeau's national security advisor, when questioned in committee, apparently the, uh, the memo that Erin O'Toole was being messed with hit her desk while she was on holidays, so she did not get the memo and could not pass that information on to the then leader of the official opposition. How convenient! <laughs> so so what there's nobody who looks after their her responsibilities or she's not there like i guess the staffers in her office also missed that memo and it was hilarious because i read a transcript of her being grilled in committee and i think it was michael cooper who was questioning her and he just said basically the question in line of questioning went so you were on holidays, so you did not receive the memo. That's correct. And when you got back from holidays, that memo had disappeared from your from your office. Yes. And no, nobody on your staff saw the memo either. No. And so then he was just kind of going on as he had said. So basically, the memo just disappeared all on its own. Yes. <laughs> well, if, if the if the memo landed on her desk when she wasn't there but was but vanished before she got back how does she know a memo was on her desk yeah well hey if a tree falls in the forest <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but i mean let's let's just be real you know aaron o'toole did not need to be messed with to lose that election because he did that all on his own so very well <laughs> <laughs> but, but i mean come on i mean you know the only reason that aaron o'toole was not notified was because he was the leader of the conservative party exactly i mean why would they tell their biggest opponent about foreign interference that was going to help them i mean this is the problem with 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 uh you know the liberals and trudeau is that we'll take advantage of everything even if you know that that whatever they're taking advantage of is bad for the country down the road because oh, yeah. it, it serves them right now and it yeah. just seems like it's it's kind of a hallmark of the left. 
and and of the liberals to do stuff like that you know it's yeah and, and what's that is it's not even just the conservatives although that was what we had noticed in the election time uh ndp mp jenny kwan actually was notified that she too had been targeted and not informed until this last week and of course she's quite ticked but she still won her seat and you know as did Aaron O'Toole obviously but it's uh this this stinks to high heaven and what's even better is that David Johnson even though there was a a non-binding motion in the house that was voted in favor of him being removed as the special rapporteur he uh dug his heels in and said nope I'm not going anywhere in fact, I'm going to take my $1,500 a day uh, per diem that I get and hire Navigator, a reputation management firm in Toronto, to help fix my image. <laughs> Dude, the damage is done. You're, uh, your goose is cooked. Sorry, Gramps. <laughs> well, uh, you don't, you know how you fix your reputation? Do the damn job. I mean, Let's be real, it's obvious to everyone that a public inquiry is required. In fact, it's obvious to everyone that probably a criminal investigation is required. And and your answer is, eh, nothing to see here. <laughs> Everything's fine. The only, uh, you know, the, the, the liberal government did everything that they could to stop foreign interference and and all this, well, obviously we're finding out that's not true. I mean, they didn't even tell the people who were targeted that they were targeted until two years later or three years later. It's like, yeah, great job. I mean, come on. You, you, your reputation is damaged because you damaged it, moron. Yep. Now, uh, speaking of damaged reputation, not that he had one anyway, can I meet Singh? Finally grew a spine and said, hey, damn it, Mr. Trudeau, if you don't call a public inquiry, I'm bringing this government down. <laughs> oh, Jagmeet would do no such thing. In fact, he was very quick to say, oh, no, we can't bring this, this government down. An election is the last thing Canadians need until we can get this election interference all sorted out. Oh. <laughs> uh. He is such an idiot. I mean, okay, the dumbest politician in Canada. Let's put it that way. Um, and that's a tough. That's a tough title to take because there are a lot of dummies. But I have to agree. Yeah. No. I mean, and and it's funny because when we were at the Jordan Peterson uh, um, lecture last Friday, um, he went. He, he actually brought up Jagmeet Singh and said that he is the most useless politician in Canada. <laughs> and he's right. I mean, he is. He's just a useless politician. I mean, the guy doesn't stand for anything. You know, he stands for whatever, whatever, uh, oh, he, he just... He stands for whatever makes him more left than Justin. And and it's like uh, when you watch him, you're like, oh, oh, really? Now you stand for that. Okay. All right. Okay. 
Oh, oh, now you stand for that. Okay. You know, like it just, he's just uh, an opportunist politician. I mean, you know, we've talked about them before, right? Where they just stand for whatever they think is going to get them votes. And, uh, and, but I mean, that that's, and I think I've talked about it on here before that that's kind of just, that's kind of a liberal or sorry, uh, an NDP thing to do. I mean, every former NDP premier from BC is, you know, they're not involved with unions. They're not involved with, you know, uh, uh, you know, some left-wing um, socialist uh, movement when they leave office. No, no, they all get jobs with corporations. Um, they they become political pundits on TV where they sound an awful lot like a classical liberal um, or even somewhat conservative in the case of uh, someone like um, uh, Thomas Mulcair. I mean, there's oftentimes when he's doing political commentary where I go, wait, were you the leader of the conservatives at some point or you know, because you don't sound like an NDP or anymore. You don't sound like, you know, so it, it's something with NDP leaders or NDP um, members. It, it's, they do not have conviction of the things that their party stands for. Um, they, uh, they always abandon them as soon as they leave office. It, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, well, you make a good point because uh, I was thinking when you're talking about you know, they kind of just go where the wind blows. Jack Layton was famous for that. And, uh, you know, he never found a soundbite he, he couldn't try to regurgitate for his own use. But at least Jack Layton was likable. I mean, uh, I mean, I didn't agree with any of Jack Layton's policies or his way of doing politics, but... I would have been happy to sit down and have coffee with him and had a polite conversation. I'll, I wouldn't go anywhere near Jagmeet Singh. The guy just annoys me. Yeah, well, I mean, I I never felt the way you felt about uh, Jack Layton. I mean, I, I <laughs> the, Jack Layton, like you said, he. I mean, he he every. There's this, when he was leader, there was always like people going, oh yeah, he's the guy I want to have a beer with. He's the one I want to have a conversation with. I want to sit down and have a conversation with. Not me. And the guy, the guy, like you said, would, he, he went wherever the wind blows. And that to me, I have no respect for someone like that. And I have no, I had no respect for him. I had no respect for his, his positions. I, I had no respect for, um, his politics at all. I mean, the guy was, like you said, he was a, um, he was an opportunist politician and, uh, and a real greasy car sales, like used car salesman, uh, you know, personality. And, and, Definitely. and I, and I just never, ever, I, I never understood how how Canadians in general would pick him as the leader they would most want to have a beer with. I never understood that. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe because of his competition at the time was, was Harper, and nobody seemed to have that 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 sentiment for Harper. But uh, 
Yeah. Let's move on to a provincial no, that's NDP. True too. I, oh. That's true, too. I mean, I never had any desire to sit down and have a beer with Stephen Harper, either. I mean, mostly just because I feel like I, he might bore me. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, uh, but, I mean, like, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, in comparison, I guess, sure. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, never someone that I would have wanted to sit down and have a beer with for sure. Well, fair enough. So from one NDP leader to another, Rachel Notley in Alberta came away with a surprise upset win. Oh, wait, no, that's just if you're watching CBC. Because uh, the CBC, most of the mainstream media actually seems to think that Alberta election was a win for Rachel Notley. Although... I guess, Lewis, I got to quiz you again. I know that I keep asking you about how elections work in this country, but I get confused. So in a provincial election, the party that wins the most seats gets the ability to form government, correct? Uh, correct. Okay, so just like the federal system. So since the UPC or UCP, sorry, won 49 seats to 38 seats for the NDP, that would indicate to anybody that the UCP won that election quite clearly, didn't they? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but yet most of the mainstream media continues to paint this as a win for Rachel Notley. Oh, she grew the opposition, and she she was the one who was higher on the CBC trust scale. And oh God, the the gushing over Rachel Notley. And I just thought to myself, um, you lost, Rachel, and it wasn't close. It was closer than the last election, but you. Uh, you didn't win, Rachel. And I'm sorry that the CBC and Global want to paint it like a win for you, but you didn't do it. Congratulations to Danielle Smith on a majority conservative government. You and I both uh, had a few concerns about this one. One of the ones I'll raise right away is or actually two of the concerns I have. One completely shut out in Edmonton. They only had one MLA in Edmonton at dissolution. Casey Madu, who had some baggage, and he lost his seat. And all three of the uh, NDP candidates we had pointed out a few weeks ago who were uh, communists, not even communist sympathizers, but active communists, all won their seats. Now, we'll remind yeah. you the name, Gurinder Brar in Calgary, Diane Batten in Calgary. And a uh, side note about Diane Batten. Uh, there was a CBC reporter who was covering the Alberta election, and part of the reporter's coverage was going out door knocking with Diane Batten, which just kind of proves what we've said about the CBC all along. They really are the communist broadcasting corporation. And number three candidate, Rod Loyola in Edmonton, also won his seat. So I guess confirming what we also said all along, the NDP are the closest think we've got to a communist party in this country that scares yeah. me those three yeah the um the bigger story to me was the fact that uh was how much the ndp won in calgary uh i mean edmonton has like we said on the show prior to the election uh edmonton has always voted more left um the NDP usually their own their only seats that they have are in Edmonton, <laughs> um, but to me it's how many seats they won in Calgary that's fairly troubling. Um, and the fact that that 
you know, I, I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with a little bit with your with your commentary on this. I do think this was a win for Rachel Notley, not not a, a an election win, but a you know uh, a a win in that she won a lot of seats in Calgary. Uh, she she is um, she's a leader who lost the last election when she was premier. And she bounced back to uh, make this the closest election in Alberta history. Uh, this is, and, and, and I mean, it, the seat count makes it sound like the UCP ran away with this. They did not. Um, there was, uh, all it would have taken was 1,200 votes switching the other direction and the NDP would have had a majority government. Uh, and that's in, I believe that 1200 votes in, I believe it was uh, like 10 seats. That's all it would have taken. 1200 total votes spread across 10 seats and they and the NDP would have won that election. That is I'm sorry, Tony, it, that was a, a win for Rachel Notley in that uh, she, she, this, was, this was a lot closer than it should have been. A lot closer than it should have been. Yeah, and there's a couple reasons for that. Um, one, this was the most binary election in Alberta history. Uh, the UCP was just over 50% of the vote and the NDP was about 44%. What is unique about this particular election is no other party contesting the Alberta election garnered even 1% of the vote, like individually that is. And that is very bizarre. And I guess the NDP benefited because there was no splitting of the left-wing vote in this election. The Liberal Party of Alberta is a shadow of its former self. They couldn't even get anybody to step up to lead the party uh, last year when they when their leader stepped down, nobody actually signed up wanting to lead. So Rachel Notley benefited from really no left-wing opposition to her party. So it was a very binary choice. It was either UCP or NDP. And having the media on their side, I guess they, the left-wing parties always have, even in Alberta. I mean, I remember 20 odd years ago when I ran for an election out there, the media was all in the in the, the, the bag for, I guess it would have been Nancy McBeth, the election I contested. And yeah, they were always on the side of the, the left-wing parties, but yeah, this time the voters on the left had nowhere else to go. So, uh, so I would agree with you, Rachel Notley definitely benefited from that. But yeah, I was actually stunned at uh, what a binary election. I mean, it, it, that's as two-party state as you see anywhere. I was, uh, I was, I was actually pretty, shocked by that like even the alberta party was completely decimated and excuse me they had held one seat or two previously so yeah and i mean bc is somewhat like that as well i mean we have you know uh, i think three green party seats in the in the legislature but uh for the most part it's just ndp and bc united you know that soccer team um <laughs> it it's they they don't there really is no other player the conservatives are are a bit of a, a joke here the um 
aside from those three green seats, the Green Party is is you know not relevant. Um, it's uh, the the Liberal Party here is not really a Liberal Party. It's it's actually the BC United Party, which is a conservative Liberal coalition. Um, never understood how those two go together, but uh, in BC, anything goes. Um, it's uh, so yeah, it's really kind of a two party system here in BC too, but no, not nearly on the level as Alberta. When when you really only have two parties there, and they're quite opposite, like really opposite. The, it, it, I I would understand it more if it was like the liberals and the conservatives because um you know they they at least have some crossover uh but 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 it's like in alberta they're like no we don't like you conservatives right now so we're gonna go for the communists like <laughs> it, it, I, I don't get it i don't get it yeah and then of course i heard the punditry because it seems that only I like Danielle Smith because boy, oh boy, the media certainly was on her case. And immediately I was hearing calls that, well, I wonder, you know, had the UCP had a different leader, would they have performed better? And I think, no, I don't think they would have actually. I think that just the, uh, the demographics in the larger cities is changing. And it doesn't mean that there aren't conservatives in Edmonton and Calgary. That just means that maybe Danielle Smith's brand of conservatism didn't quite appeal to them, but she did almost sweep rural Alberta completely. And I, I thought that she ran a good campaign as far as, I mean, when she got to get going, though she had to deal with some wildfires for the first week or two. But I mean, she stayed on message and she was composed the whole time. She wasn't uh, like an attack dog like Rachel Notley was. So I thought she earned it. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of hers. I wish BC had a premier that fought for their province the way she fights for hers. Um, because we don't. We, we have a premier that's set on destroying our province. And, um, and if you watch Canada is dying, you'll see that. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but... Uh, but but I mean, Danielle Smith fights for her province like no other premier outside of Quebec. Yeah, um, he put Justin Trudeau on notice on election night, so I was I was impressed. Yeah, no, I mean, you want a premier like her, one that's going to fight for their province, that's going to stand up for their province, and the only province that typically ever has that is Quebec, and uh, and and it's about damn time that Alberta has. You know, I mean, Alberta kind of always has uh, had premiers like that until after until Ralph Klein um, retired. Then it was like Ed Stelmack, and um, I can't even remember the name of the uh, premier. After Redford. Him. Oh, no, Alice Redford. 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 Yeah, yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason I can't remember her name because she was probably the worst <laughs> premier that province ever had um because she was an ndp or running as a conservative like how she got elected in the first place i don't understand but um she bought off the teachers so, union well that yes that's true <laughs> so 
but we've got you know alberta has traditionally had premiers that stood up for them um and fought for their province but not on the level that uh you know someone like ralph klein did or uh or peter lougheed um and you finally have that again with danielle smith yeah absolutely and i uh and i don't know if it's just that the ottawa media doesn't understand alberta politics the way that that we do here in in western canada but i actually laughed out loud when i uh heard i can't even remember which which of the commentators because they all kind of had the same message and it was how they were so shocked that daniel smith was campaigning against justin trudeau more so than against rachel notley and i just thought hey this is this is alberta politics it's always i'm going to camp to, to stand up against the federal government better than my opponent and it's been that way since bloody Ernest manning in the 40s crying out loud it's always we're going to stand up to ottawa we're going to fight ottawa better than our opponent and i thought how is it that none of you have flipped the history book open and realized that for at least 80 years this has been alberta politics i'm just i'm stunned at how uh clueless they all were yeah and i mean it's and it's really become a hallmark of alberta politics um especially since uh trudeau senior um because of what he did to the province like he, he pretty much bankrupted alberta with the national energy program and the and, and it's so it's always you know since then has always been and, and like you said well i mean before that even but but especially since then it's always been us us versus the feds because alberta more than anybody knows what the federal government can do to your province if you don't fight back and Alberta has been a target of the federal government for a long time. And it seems like everything the federal government does is to target Alberta. Like, be, like and Justin Trudeau is no different. He tar he's targeting Western Canada. He's targeting Alberta. And you need a, a, a premier that's going to stand up to that. And yes, you're right. The federal I don't know if it's so much that they don't understand Alberta politics or that they want to change Alberta politics um, because they want to mold it in what into what they view as to, into what they think that it should be. Um, I mean, it could be a, a little of both even. They, they don't understand it, but and because they don't understand it, they want to change it um, because like they, they all have this like Ontario biased eye when looking at politics in western canada and and yeah they they don't they don't get it well that's true and uh so here's a little uh just gonna foreshadow a bit mahed nenshi was campaigning for rachel notley even though he claims he wasn't campaigning for rachel notley he claims he was just a neutral pundit attacking danielle smith every time he could get in front of a microphone now I'm hearing rumblings that maybe Nahed Nenshi is actually trying his hand out to see if he can't be the NDP leader for 2027. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think it would be a mistake. I mean, he's he's not a liked person. Um, 
I mean, there is a segment of the population that does like him, uh, but but he's not a very well liked person. Um, I mean, he he not this previous election, but the one before that. Uh, I believe it was, I believe it was the election that was five or six years ago, where he was he was well on his way to losing. And then he played the race card and said that Calgarians were racist if he didn't win. And then the tide swung in his direction and he won. Uh, he played on he played on Calgarians' white guilt, right? And and it worked. Um but yeah, he's just a piece of crap politician, just like every other NDP leader that I've had the misfortune of having to listen to or watch uh and um and i mean uh, it makes sense that he would run for them <laughs> um oh, yeah. i i just don't think it would be a smart i don't think it would be a smart decision uh on the ndp's part because rachel notley is a likable person um whereas whereas he's not Yep, no, that's fair enough. So, um, well, from a, a non-likable person to a very non-likable situation, I'm so glad that you watched Canada is Dying. Uh, and, and for all of our listeners out there, Canada, I really encourage you to watch Canada is Dying. It's a latest documentary from Aaron Gunn. And we talked about Vancouver is Dying before a few months ago. Well, Canada is Dying expands upon that. And Aaron Gunn does a really good job. He actually travels... Uh, most of the country to uh, talk about not just uh, the drug problem at this time. He also talks about street violence and the random stabbings, etc. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a very moving piece. Very, very well done. And uh, I really wanted to talk about it today because it's, it's very poignant. It's not just Vancouver now. And now he's, he talks about the, uh, the TTC in Toronto. And there's a scene where that lady is pushed onto the tracks just randomly by some douchebag. And then he talks about a lot of people just, you know, random stabbings and going on. And those are on the rise in Toronto. Uh, oddly enough, uh, shootings are down in Toronto this last year, but stabbings are up, way up. And yeah, and he also talks about the, about the uh, the drug abuse and treatment and lack thereof as well but it's uh yeah just a very very moving show very very well done yeah one one of the stats that he that he brought up that i just found i had to pause it and i just, i turned to my wife and i just went are you kidding me so one of the stats is in the past i think it was the past 3 years Violent offenders that were out on bail were responsible for 26 murders and 2,100 violent assaults in just the city of Edmonton alone. I mean, that let that sink in. They were on parole for violent offenses when committing 23 murders and 2,100 violent offense, uh, uh, assaults. The, another one was, uh, another one was the, uh, that, that just shocked me, uh, was 
there was a, a, a someone who was murdered. I can't remember if it was the police officer that was murdered, but the person that committed the murder was out on bail for an attempted murder while they were on bail for another violent assault. So they were on double bail. Like they were out on bail for a violent assault, attempted murder, got arrested and charged and released on bail again, and then murdered this person. And I can't remember who it was that they murdered, if whether it was a police officer or if it was uh, someone else, but um, but yeah, they were on double bail. I wonder if that was it, uh, the guy that murdered that mother and daughter up front of the school. Maybe, yeah. And, yeah. and there was another there was another one where the person that uh, uh, and I mean, this is sorry, my mind is going all over the place. I got to finish one thought at a time here. The the person that uh, that uh, uh, they murdered, I think it was a murder. And they had been, or sorry, no, they, that, that guy who, who wanted to retrieve his stolen property because it was at a, a, a homeless encampment and the police wouldn't go get it for him. He knew it was there. He saw it and the police wouldn't go and get it. So he, he went and got it. That was in and Nanaimo. Yeah. In Nanaimo. Yeah. And he ended up being shot by the homeless people because there was like two or three guns that were pulled on him by the homeless people and he ended up getting shot in the stomach a whole bunch of times by a 22 and the person who shot him like he was kept in a in a medically induced coma for four days so that he could have three surgeries to save his life four days he was on he was in a coma and when he woke up the person who had shot him had already been released on bail. I mean, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, watching this documentary, it, it, I think it's the most important documentary um, anybody can watch at this moment. It is, it is the most important one. Yeah. Well, and what got to me, because of course I'm, I'm, you know, quite upset with the addictions crisis and the way it is. And, uh, and this was actually isn't just a BC issue this time because it was happening in London, Ontario as well, where the safe supply BS and they had to talk to a lady who was a pharmacist and she had said, yeah, I mean, we handled this Dilaudid, which is a drug, which is a safe supply drug. And she says the people will take their Dilaudid prescription and right in front of the pharmacy, they'll sell it all to whomever so they can buy fentanyl. So yeah. if you just said like, you know, and the, and the pharmacists know this is happening, like as in the pharmacy shop owners, and they don't care because they're still making money off of it. And I just thought like, this system is so broken. Like, no wonder you've got, you know, so much uh, drug abuse around because, well, their, uh, their quote unquote safe supply is funding the, the fentanyl and the other opioids. It's, it's, it's not even sad anymore it's shameful is what it is that it, it disgusts me yeah well and i mean 
who who was it that said that this would happen? Uh, I got to think hard about that one because I know that he had gone to school in Vancouver and he currently lives in the Okanagan. Uh, oh, wait, that was you. <laughs> well, it was us. I mean, we, was, we yes. really, we predicted that this was going to happen. And I mean, they, and they even showed stats that the overdose death uh, numbers are going up since they uh, decided to decriminalize hard drugs in BC uh, back at the end of January. Um, in this documentary, they show that those numbers are going up. Um, and, uh, and, and we said that was going to happen. We like the, I don't understand how the experts keep getting this all wrong, but yet you and I keep getting it right. And, you know, I mean, I, I really, I was, I was really happy about the documentary showing the difference between the way BC is handling this and the way Ontario is handling this and the way that Alberta is handling this. And, and it's interesting because jurisdictions around the world are trying to copy the way Alberta is doing it. And it's actually known around the world as the Alberta method because it has been so successful. And, and they have no wait time. If you want help, if you need help to get uh, off of drugs, if you call their number, you are entered into treatment today. There is no wait time. You get in today. And they're, and they're constructing treatment facilities right now. The first one's in Red Deer, and it's a, it's a, you know, a fairly large uh, uh, facility that I believe will hold, uh, was it 100 people? And uh, 25 women and 75 men, and they'll, they're separated. And, uh, um, and, and they not only get them off of drugs and, and, and all of that, but they also teach them life skills uh such as you know cooking growing their own food um you know all all that kind of stuff they're, they're teaching them how to be productive citizens and to be clean and productive citizens and and we have said on this show how in the past how the the overdose death rate in in, in alberta has been cut by 50 percent and how the overdose death rate in BC has like tripled. Um, and, and it's, but one thing that they said that really shocked me was that in the past, what was it, 15 years, the overdose death rate has increased by a thousand percent. That one really got to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and, but they did, and it wasn't all about drugs. Like you said, they also talked about the, the violence and how like they, you know, they touched on that woman who was uh, set on fire, how the, you know, all of, all the violence that's happening and how there's like a 400% increase in, in uh, violent crime in, uh, in the past, I believe it's the past 15 years. Again, it's like a 400% increase. There's uh, just in some cities, like I think it was London, Ontario, there's a 40% increase in violent crime last year alone. 
I mean, it, it's just insane. It's crazy. Like, I don't understand what's going on. And, and like, and I said this, I said this to my wife last night. I said, you know, this is, you know, she, cause she was just furious at the end of the, at the end of watching it. And, uh, and I said, she says, how can they keep making these decisions? How can they keep doubling down on these decisions when they have the opposite results from what they want? And I said, I think that would require them to have the opposite results of what they want. I, I, I firmly believe this is what they want. Um, well, I, they, want I, they want to spill chaos. Yeah. They want chaos. They want, um, they want people to be dependent on government. They want people to be, they don't want people to be in control of their own lives. Uh, I think there's, I think there's corruption at the highest levels of government when it comes to dealing with uh, pharmaceutical companies. Because, I mean, like, what was that drug you said they were handing out? A Dilaudid? Dilaudid, yeah. Dilaudid, yeah. Did you see who the manufacturer of Dilaudid was? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, Purdue. Purdue Pharma. Yeah. The same company that made OxyContin and and started the opioid crisis in the first place and and the pharmacist was say, talking about how dilatin is two to three times as powerful as oxycontin it, it it's oxycontin on steroids it is yeah. way it's way more addictive way stronger than oxy and yet our government is just handing it out for free. I mean, they're suing Purdue Pharma for Oxy. And yet they're doing something that's far worse. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And then, uh, like you said, he had touched on it. I think, I can't remember what the stat was in Toronto, how much violent crime had increased, but it's... Uh, at least in Toronto, that is actually an election issue right now in this by-election for mayor. So I, uh, I mean, I don't know if electing Olivia believe- Chow is going to change that or Mark Saunders, but I mean, that's uh, at least it's on the front of mind in Toronto. So I really, really hope that Torontonians take this seriously when they go to the polls. Yeah, I believe it was a 32% increase. Um in violent crime in Toronto. Like that's, it's just crazy. Like what the hell is happening in this country? Well, that's just it. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's a good segue to our next topic. Well, I mean, Justin, (laughs) well, well, yeah, but before we do that, Justin Trudeau said something in 2015, you've said it, you've, you've quoted him in the past. He said, you will not recognize Canada when I'm done. And he's he right. I, I, he, and he's right. I don't recognize Canada. It's shocking. It's shocking how much and how fast he has changed this country and he's changed it for the worse. Yep. He really has. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. We'll move on to uh, the next topic. And well, because situation is getting worse. The Kamloops Indian Band Residential School, that was the, the first 
quote unquote unmarked graves that started the whole Every Child Matters movement. And I'm actually really proud of the fact that our show was actually the very first one to uh, put a hand up and say, well, wait a minute, let's express some caution. And I'm really proud of the fact that you, Lewis, were the first talking head in the, the country that said, ah, you know what? Um, don't buy into this ground penetrating radar stuff. And I'll ask you to repeat that, what you said about that right away here, because two years later, there still has not been one single body found at the Kamloops former residential school. And just recently, a group called the International Commission on Missing Persons, which was developed in The Hague, which is the European court, after the Yugoslav war to help find missing persons and exhumed bodies, et cetera. So this is what they do for a living. They actually find missing missing persons. They find bodies. They find mass graves. And the Kamloops Indian Band said, nope. Even though Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller said these guys would be a great help, the band said, nope, we don't want them because, quote, they're not Indigenous. This is really starting to smell a little bit like what listener Brett would be smelling right now because he's out feeding cows while listening to our show. So um, if you don't mind, Lewis, maybe for our newer listeners who weren't with us two years ago, why were you uh, asking Canada to, to press the pause button with the ground penetrating radar? Well, I have experience with ground penetrating radar in my former career. Um, it is not an exact science. I mean, it doesn't show anything. Like when you're when you use it, it doesn't actually show like an image of of bones or or whatever underneath the ground. It doesn't do that. All it does is it identifies a change in the uh, density of this of the soil or dirt or whatever that you are. Uh, examining at the time um it could be it could be it could be a grave it could just be uh it could be a uh, uh, uh like an a, like a void in the in the ground where a uh like root system of a tree or something like that had had rotted out um, it could just be that the density of the soil is different than that around it. Um, it doesn't mean that there's a grave there. It doesn't mean that there is somebody, that, that there's a body that was buried there. Um, in fact, if you look at any site that has had a ground penetrating radar done and then was excavated, the overwhelming majority of the time, there's nothing of significance. Um, in fact, there's, I once watched an episode of uh, Dateline where this uh, suspected murderer had, they, they, they combed his property with ground penetrating radar and uh, found six spots on his city lot where um there where they said this could be a grave this could be a grave this could be a grave there's six they excavated all six and found nothing um so the 
I've always, right from the very beginning, as soon as they said they were using ground penetrating radar and found 215 unmarked graves, uh, I was very skeptical. Uh, I'm still very skeptical. And I mean, at the time I said, whoa, 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 like, let's stop right now. Like we need to excavate these sites and confirm because I can almost guarantee that most, if not all of those are not, are not graves. Uh, be, just because of my personal experience with ground penetrating radar. Well, and I think that the data is going to back you up on that because as it turns out, there was an apple orchard on that very same site where the graveyard was, which might be the, uh, some of the cavities you're talking about from root system rotting out. And there was also a sewage outlet there. So there are now sewage tiles under the ground as well, which would be detected as you know, potential anomalies as well. And then uh, Nina Green, who was a researcher who was, uh, who was indigenous, I believe, and was just trying to get down to the, to, to the facts so that you know, we could possibly find anybody missing, said that all students had to register in order to get government funding, which is the exact same as how schools work now. And he said, and this is her quote, nobody is looking for anybody from the Kamloops Indian Residential School, which means that all the, the students there are accounted for. So it does make you wonder why they, uh, they don't wanna do any digging because they've not dug anywhere around the school. And I haven't been there, but apparently the school is like right across the river from the city of Kamloops. So it's very, very visible. So you think if they were going to be sneaking bodies into a graveyard, they'd have to be really, really clever when there's, you know, parents, tradespeople, teachers, nuns going back and forth in and out of the school every day. So it's uh, it's starting to smell just a little bit like fertilizer. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about this two years ago, too, in that, um, I mean, I... I there's there were other sites that were found in western canada here and one one of which they said was over 700 um but then you find out oh like the 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 ex-chief of the of the uh cran of the indian band in cranbrook said oh no 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 we know about that graveyard it was a it was an an active graveyard they all it, it was a community graveyard it was this is not unknown they were all the sites were marked with wooden crosses those wooden crosses were burned when there was a when there was a grass fire and they were never replaced but the current chief was you know losing their their mind over over the 715 graveyard or grave sites when it's a it's a it's a well-known graveyard it's nobody everybody knew it was there but the reason they were doing the ground penetrating radar was because they were building a new fence around the graveyard and wanted to just make sure that they weren't putting a post in the middle of a grave site yeah well and there, there's one uh, reserve in southern saskatchewan at Cowessis, which became quite well known because chief delorme from there had uh who's now a former chief had done the media circuits and initially they were like yeah there's a you know a huge graveyard here and then he actually to his credit like the to the, the same with the lady in uh in cranbrook 
come out and said, oh, no, no, this was also attached to the Catholic Church community graveyard. And he had pointed out that there was elders who said, yeah, I know my parents were buried here. So then uh, also, you know, trying to put the brakes on that a little bit. But uh, yeah, to wrap this segment up, I'm just, uh, I don't want to accuse the Kamloops band of trying to play any games here, but when they're, when they haven't dug a single shovel full themselves, and they're refusing a group who specializes in this sort of thing, something stinks, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, like I said, I don't want to be accusing them of lying or, or anything like that. I just think that, you know, I think people are, are probably afraid of being wrong. I think that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, speaking of wrong, we'll, we'll, this, we'll tag this in the and more segment of the show. Happy Pride Month or Pride season as uh, the Ministry of Women's, Ministry of Women and Gender Diversity calls it Pride season. <laughs> I, um, I gotta say it's not surprising that there's a pride flag flying outside of the Prime Minister's office because Justin Trudeau, of course, will take any chance he can to virtue signal. But uh, I wanted to get your thoughts because I've now heard Two different uh, media figures, one in the U.S. and one here in Canada, who are both gay and have said that our movement has been hijacked and it's the LGB community that is now suffering. And uh, one was Sue Ann Levy, whom you might know from True North. I think she used to be at the Toronto Sun as well. And um, at any rate, she, uh, she had said, yeah, she said, I was in the closet for 20 years. I came out. I got to marry my you know, her now wife, and she says, like, we live with freely without discrimination, we, you know, we're part of our community, etc. And in the States, Dave Rubin, who uh, has his own, his own podcast, but he, he did actually tour with Jordan Peterson initially. And he said, essentially the same thing. He said, yeah, he says, I'm married to my husband, we've adopted children, he says, you know, we uh, take part in school activities, and he's, he's horrified at what he's seen in the States. And he said the same thing. He says it's uh, the trans movement is actually what both of them said hijacked what, you know, was LGB activism. And in both of their opinions have ruined it for for gay people. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I'm not gay, so I I don't <laughs> know the I, I'm not I'm not. I, I wouldn't be able to speak on whether it's been hijacked or not. Um, I, from the, from the outside looking in, I can definitely see where he's coming from when he says that. Um, yeah, I just, but because I'm not part of that, I, I have a hard time giving an opinion on that. But I mean, it does seem like all the activism right now from the alphabet people is to do with trans. Well, that's kind of what and, I was thinking too, like drag queens, et cetera, right? Yeah, drag queen story hour, the you know the tuck bathing suits being sold at Target in the U.S., uh, you know Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney, um, you know it just seems like everything is to do with trans now, everything, and it's not even, in my opinion, a real thing. 
um, it, it's, you know, it's mental illness is what it is. I mean, and if you talk to, you know, I've talked to people who, who have, you know, because, you know, my, my, my kids are still in high school. And so I've talked to other parents whose kids are gay and they all agree with me that trans is not real, that it's, that it's mental illness, um, that they, you know, the, every single, every single kid at my kid's high school that is claiming to be trans comes from a really horrible home life. They have been victims of abuse. They are mental, they have mental health problems and they're narcissists. And it's every single one of them. It's not even particularly close. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know a single one that is claiming to be trans that is a healthy human being. Not one. Uh, and so, but we're, but so we're supposed to just let these people who are who are suffering with mental health do permanent damage to themselves you know and and, and there's people out there straight you know whatever i hate the term cisgendered it's such a freaking made-up word that doesn't even it's not even a real word um but regular normal people i know that's going to get me in trouble um <laughs> who uh who are advocating for this they're advocating for this they're 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 you know i don't understand it's like if if it, if someone went to the doctor and said hey doc i don't feel like this arm belongs to me i think you know i want to cut it off the doctor is not going to just cut it off. The doctor is going to say, okay, I'm going to send you to go and talk to this psychiatrist. And they're going to help you. But when a 12-year-old kid goes to the doctor and says, hey, I'm in the wrong body. Uh, and I want to cut my balls off <laughs> the doctor says well we're not going to do that yet but here take these hormone blockers that are going to uh they're going to um ca chemically castrate you and you know if you ever decide that you're not trans that you were just confused uh you'll never be able to have kids again you know, you'll never, ever be able to have kids and your voice is going to be, you know, uh, sounding awfully, you know, a little female-ish or a little kid-like for the rest of your life. You know, like it's going to damage them beyond repair and we're, and we've got people advocating for this and it's just shock. It's shocking to me. I, I just, but so, I mean, when Dave Rubin says that, that the movement's been hijacked, you know, he's probably right 
But like I said, I'm an outsider looking in, so I can't really say for sure, but I'm going to take his word for it. Yeah, I, I would too. And I, uh, Sue Ann Levy actually had said that, you know, the trans movement is actually hurting women's rights. And uh, without Absolutely. a doubt, that's true when you look at it in the sporting world. So, I mean, you've got sporting bodies encouraging biological men to get into MMA and beat the living crap out of biological females. You've got Lee, Leah Thomas absolutely killing it in the, in the swimming pool when he was like 470th or something like that ranked, like deep in the 400s anyway. And suddenly now he's winning medals. Like it's uh, for all the, the work that women did to try to gain, you know, their, their own sporting authorities, their own leagues, et cetera, et cetera. It's now been set back. And that's something that Sue Ann Levy was quite upset about. And I, uh, I don't blame her. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, we've, we've uh, talked about a lot on this show in the past. Um, I mean, you see that in uh, wrestling and high school wrestling, there's, there's boys that are winning the girls state championship. Um, There's, you see it in uh, uh, cycling events where men are, are destroying the competition because they're competing against women. Um, You know, it's like men are stronger, faster, and uh, have you know more stamina than 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 women in general, which is why you know these these mediocre ath- male athletes are destroying in women's sports, and it's it's not right. It's absolutely not right. Nope, absolutely not. So um. We're going to wrap it up, but not on that note, Canada, because we want to leave you on a high. Here, Paulie Ev and Justin Trudeau love to spar in the House of Commons. And here, Paulie Ev pulled off the ultimate zinger on Justin Trudeau. And I just want to close the show with that zinger because uh, I don't even know if Justin Trudeau saw it coming. So let's, uh, let's just play that for you right now to wrap it up. The high school drama teacher over here accuses others of liking the sounds of their own voices. This from a guy who, if he were made of chocolate, he would eat himself. (laughs) Yes, Mr. Speaker, I was a high school teacher before getting into politics, and I'm having a little trouble remembering what exactly the job that the leader of the opposition had before getting into politics. Yes, and... uh... And he left right in the middle of the semester, and I'm having trouble remembering why. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm having a hard time remembering why he left the school. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's uh, funny because my daughter, my daughter heard that clip, and she said, "You know, our tax dollars are are paying for these schoolyard antics." And it's, and it's really, it it is, and it is sad that, you know, the House of Commons has devolved into this, but really, I mean, you know, Justin Trudeau uh, has kind of taken it to that point. 
You know, I mean, if you listen, when you listen to that whole clip, I mean, he, he's the one who starts the, the, uh, the, the, the school bar, the schoolyard antics in that, in that exchange in the house of commons. And so, I mean, telling us, saying that the leader of the opposition loves the sound of his own voice. And it's like, yeah. and this coming from Justin Trudeau, you know, who's a, who's an absolute, you know, narcissist in the 10th degree. And, and, uh, and, and Pierre Polyev said that, you know, it, this coming from a, from a man who, if he was made of chocolate, would eat himself. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so there we go, Canada. We'll wrap it up on a high note right there. And, uh, Feel free to play that clip over and over. I've listened to it several times, and I uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Canada. So we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan and Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. <laughs>